I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Kanika Powell was an intelligent, strong young woman and a military veteran. She worked with a top security clearance at a government lab in Washington, D.C. She had her dream job and she was back home with her family after serving her country. But one day, a man knocks on her door, a knock that both scares and alarms Kanika. Through the course of a week, more knocks come from anonymous visitors, including one man claiming to be with the FBI. And shortly after, Kanika is gunned down on her doorstep in broad daylight. And 15 years later, her case is still unsolved. I'm Nisa. Welcome to another episode of the Lost Crimes Library podcast. This is the story of the mysterious unsolved murder of Kanika Powell. Kanika Powell was born on January 31, 1980. She was raised by a single mother, and she and her mother had a really close relationship. When her mother Judy was pregnant with her, she decided she wanted to give her baby a unique name. Judy was fond of African names, and she came across the name Kanika, which meant black cloth. And Judy learned that the black cloth was something sacred and special, and it just made sense for her to give that name to her baby. And Kanika really lived up to her name. As a child, Kanika was fun, bubbly, and feisty. As she became older, she also became very opinionated. But she still had this pleasant demeanor and personality about her. She was friendly, and she made friends wherever she went. At times, she could be brutally honest, but she could also be silly and goofy and free-spirited. Soon enough, she turned into an ambitious young woman who knew very much what she wanted out of life. Kanika graduated from Largo High School in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. After high school, Kanika briefly went into the workforce. But then she soon decided that she wanted to serve her country and enlist in the U.S. Army. And this came to a complete surprise to her family and her friends. To this day, Kanika's family doesn't know what made her want to join the military. But even if her family wanted to dissuade her, they couldn't because Kanika was steadfast on enlisting. Her desire became a reality in the year 2000 when she joined the army, and she ended up serving in Korea for a while. During her service, Kanika maintained a strong relationship and connection with her family. 
She would write letters to her mother, some of which she would apologize for her behavior as a kid, and she would just keep her up to date about how things were going in her life. And I think this anecdote really captured Kanika's heart and personality. It seems like Kanika was a thoughtful and loving person, and that she really cherished her relationships, especially with her family and her friends. In 2004, Kanika decided to leave the military and come home. She was returning to Prince George's County, Maryland. Kanika landed a contract position as a security specialist with the John Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory in Laurel, Maryland, where she also lived. Because these labs work on homeland security projects, the specifics about what she did in this role as a security specialist is unknown to the public. Nonetheless, this job was a dream job for Kanika, and it was her first office job. She had always wanted to work in the national security field, and so this position was perfect for her, and she was excited to start a new chapter of her life and be back with her family and friends as well. Kanika told her mother as much as she could about her new job, saying that she would occasionally have to transport important documents and travel for work. But other than this, her family and friends weren't given much information about her role at the laboratories because, of course, she couldn't speak about what she did. Saturday, August 3rd, 2008 was a normal day for Kanika until something really strange happened to her. On that Saturday, a man knocked on the door of her apartment, claiming to be from the FBI. Kanika's mother remembers when her daughter called her explaining the strange encounter with the man who knocked on her door. In an interview, Kanika's mother recalled the phone call saying, quote, It was a Saturday evening I'll never forget. She called and said, Ma, these two men just knocked on my door saying that they were from the FBI. She said they called her by name. She said, I've already called the FBI to find out if they had sent anybody. And so she said they put a fake badge, I guess she could tell it was fake, up to the peephole, end quote. Now, I want to note that in this interview, Judy says there were two men who knocked on Kanika's door. However, according to detectives and other sources, even Judy at times claims there was only one man who knocked. So I've decided to go with the majority of what the sources say, which is that there was one man. Kanika was really worried and scared after this odd encounter with a man who seemed to be lying about being in the FBI. She was so rattled by this encounter that on Monday, August 25th, 2008, she wrote a long email to her friends and family, recalling what happened. The email read in part, I just wanted to share with you the scariest thing that happened to me this weekend. Saturday evening, around 7 p.m., a man was knocking at my door. As all of you may know, I live alone. I asked who it was, and he didn't answer. So once I got close to the door and looked out of the peephole, I saw a male figure that was not familiar to me at all. I asked who he was, and all he stated was that he was from the FBI, and that he was looking for Kanika Powell. It freaked me out completely because this man knew my name. He held a shield up, but no picture ID and he never gave his name. He told me he was looking for me in regards to an investigation. I told him that I had no idea as to what he was talking about, and that he would need to show me documentation, as well as a warrant of some sort. So he left, and I looked out my bedroom window and saw him walking. I also heard a voice tell him to walk in the opposite direction. The whole situation was scary and seemed so false. So because of this incident, not only did I get no sleep for the rest of the weekend, but I am now trying to get an alarm system installed in my apartment. Kanika ended the email by advising the recipients of the email to forward the information to other women they know. 
In the email, we also learned that Kanika was really diligent about documenting and questioning her very strange encounter with this man. For example, also in the email, she stated that she had called the local FBI field office to check if anyone from the FBI actually did want to speak with her. They told her that no one wanted to contact her, and they advised her that real agents would have left a card behind and a lone agent wouldn't have come out to talk to her by themselves. Usually, they would send two or three agents to come speak with someone. Kanika also informed the rental office in her complex as well as the local police in case someone was out there trying to rape or harm single women. And I'm thinking this may be also why Kanika told her recipients of the email to forward the email to other women they knew. I think she thought it would be good to inform other women in the neighborhood or close by in case this was some new criminal trend going around. I think Kanika wanted to make sure that no one fell for the fake FBI agent trick and ended up hurt or worse, dead. Something else I want to point out is that Kanika did such a great job at investigating this strange encounter for herself. It was obvious that she felt off about the whole thing and she followed her gut and asked the right questions instead of just taking the man's word for it that he was part of law enforcement. This is a great example of how to appropriately question authorities in law enforcement because the reality is that there are and have been people out there who impersonate law enforcement betting on the fact that you may respect and trust law enforcement and so you will just comply with whatever they want you to do. After Kanika called the police, police officers showed up at her apartment about four minutes later. They canvassed the area and took information about the incident from Kanika. Kanika described the fake FBI agent as a black male dressed in a black hat wearing black glasses and a black North Face jacket. Mind you, this happened in the middle of August, so this person was wearing a North Face jacket in arguably the hottest month of the year. Her family thinks it's possible that the man was wearing a jacket to conceal a weapon. Kanika also told the police that after the man left, she snuck a glimpse of a man through the side window in her apartment. Through the window, she saw the man walking toward the rental office, and it looked like he was carrying possibly a folder or an envelope in his hand. Kanika later told her friends that she saw a red car speeding away from the apartment complex, but she wasn't absolutely sure that it belonged to the man who knocked on her door. Despite canvassing the area, police did not find anyone who fit the description that Kanika provided. In the end, police ensured Kanika that they would increase patrols in the neighborhood in the following days, but there was nothing else that they could do, unfortunately. After everything that just happened, Kanika was hoping that the stranger who knocked on her door was just a scammer, that they didn't have anything more sinister planned. After Kanika sent that email to her friends and family, obviously they reached out to her trying to offer their help. They were understandably really concerned, so her best friend and her mother both offered Kanika the opportunity to stay with them. They were really worried about her living alone with what had just happened, but Kanika said no. She said she was going to get a security system installed soon and that everything would be fine. More than anything, she really didn't want this incident to make her scared to stay in her own home. Even though Kanika turned down their help, she knew she could stay with her best friend or her mother if she ever felt too scared to be home alone. But four days later, on Wednesday, August 27, 2008, there was another knock on Kanika's door. She checked through the peephole, but after the recent encounter, again, she decided not to open the door and to just speak through the door. 
Just like with the first encounter, the man on the other side of the door asked her if her name was Kanika Powell. When she replied yes, the man told her that he was from FedEx and that he had a package for her. She said, okay, leave it at the door. But the guy said, no, you have to sign for it. But Kanika was like, I didn't order anything, so I'm not answering the door. And after that, the man left. Kanika called FedEx and even UPS just in case asking if either of them had a package for her. And they said no. She wasn't expecting a package. Nothing was scheduled to be delivered. What's interesting is that Kanika's cousin lived across from the apartment complex where Kanika lived, and they were returning home from work when they noticed the FedEx guy at Kanika's door. They described the man as approximately six feet tall, a black male with facial hair and a beard. He was wearing a FedEx shirt, the shirt was either short-sleeved or the sleeves were cut off. He was also wearing Dickie-style shorts, white socks, and Timberland boots. However, her cousin never spotted a FedEx truck nearby or any other vehicle the man should have been walking to as he was leaving. Instead, her cousin watched the man walk away from the apartment complex until he was no longer in their eyesight. After these two strange incidents, Kanika was certain she was being stalked and targeted by someone but she had no idea who it could be. She didn't think she had any enemies or that she had offended anyone recently. She didn't understand who would want to harass her or stalk her. All she knew was two strangers came to her apartment within one week. One man claiming to be from the FBI, but wasn't, and then an odd FedEx man knocking on her door saying he had a package for her, even though she wasn't expecting anything. But there was something else, too. Kanika told her friends that when she would come home from work, she would find cigarette butts or black and milds laying on the ground near her front door. To Kanika, it felt like someone was waiting for her at her apartment every day, anticipating her arrival back home. Again, after this second encounter, her best friend and mother offered a place for Kanika to stay while all of this was sorted out. And her best friend insisted that Kanika at least take up one of them on their offer. They were growing more and more concerned, but Kanika still didn't go stay with her friends or her family. In the meantime, the strange visits didn't stop though. There was another one only 12 hours after the most recent one. On Thursday, August 28, 2008, Kanika's mother, Judy, received a call from Kanika telling her about the delivery man knocking on her door again. According to her mother, this man claimed to have had a package for her, but just like last time, Kanika refused to answer the door. Judy said she got Kanika's call around 7.30 a.m. She said Kanika asked her who delivers a package at 7.30 a.m. Judy said that when she looks back on that call with her daughter, she could sense the fear in Kanika's voice. And Judy felt helpless, having no way of knowing if her daughter was in danger or not. On the phone call, Kanika let her mother know that she was going to take the day off. It was already planned that the next day Kanika was going out of town, so she was going to use this day off to prepare for the trip. She had to run some errands and get her car serviced before heading out on a weekend trip to Atlanta, Georgia with a new friend. Because of everything that had been happening lately, Kanika decided that she wanted to head out and run her errands early. She wanted to get everything done early so that she could be home before dark. The conversation Judy had on the phone with Kanika was the last time she would ever speak with her daughter. After the third incident, Kanika contacted the local police again, and they came out to her apartment again, but they found nothing just like last time. Kanika arrived home from running errands shortly before 12 p.m., but she had no idea the fate that awaited her. There was someone, a killer, waiting for Kanika to return home. 
The first 911 calls came into the police at 11.50 a.m. A resident at Kanika's apartment complex in Laurel, Maryland, called 911 reporting gunshots at Kanika's. When police and EMS responded to the scene, they found Kanika lying in the hallway outside her apartment with multiple gunshot wounds. When EMS assisted her, they discovered that Kanika suffered numerous gunshot wounds to her upper body, including a shot in her head, and they also realized that she was still alive but unconscious and barely holding on to life. She was rushed to the nearest hospital. That afternoon, Judy received the most shocking call of her life. Detectives called Judy to notify her that her daughter had been shot. Judy was completely shocked. She had just spoken with her daughter earlier that morning, and sure, Kanika was shaken up, but she was fine. Judy has said that up until that call from detectives, she felt like she was very naive about all the events that were leading up to her daughter getting shot. She has said that she had no idea that what was happening could eventually lead to this. Investigators began processing and investigating the scene after Kanika was rushed to the hospital. First, detectives spoke to witnesses. There were no witnesses to the crime, just residents in the apartment complex who heard the sound of gunshots, but they didn't see anything. One of Kanika's neighbors opened his door after hearing the gunshots and cautiously peered through the door. He could smell gunpowder in the hallway. He looked downstairs over the balcony and he could see Kanika lying on the ground in a pool of blood. And that's when the first 911 call came in to police. Other neighbors told police they heard Kanika say, no, 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 right before four to five gunshots in succession rang out through the apartment complex. After gathering information from witnesses, detectives started questioning the motive for such a crime. Who would want to harm Kanika and why? Because Kanika was shot outside of her apartment, detectives initially considered the motive to be robbery. Maybe the shooter had been in the middle of the robbery and Kanika had caught them in the act. Or maybe the shooter wanted to rob Kanika but she put up a fight. However, when Kanika's wallet, car keys, and other valuables were located either next to her body or on her body, they officially ruled out robbery as a motive. Detectives also looked through the complex where she lived. Kanika's apartment complex was located in a nice area where it was considered safe. The complex was about medium-sized, with typically no criminal activity that police had to respond to on a daily basis. And according to the detectives, outside of the complex, the county itself did not have much violent crime either. All of this information gathered from the scene told detectives that Kanika was the direct target, that someone had planned to kill Kanika. But detectives were struggling with what the motive could be if it wasn't robbery. In the hours following Kanika's murder, there was only one thing detectives knew for certain. Kanika Powell was shot with a handgun. They also believed that the shooter had been lying in wait in her doorway. Kanika was still alive when she was rushed to the hospital, but sadly, she never regained consciousness. The day after she had been shot, that's August 29th, 2008, 28-year-old Kanika Powell succumbed to her injuries and died. Her mother, friends, and family were still very much in shock. They couldn't believe that something like this would happen to Kanika. Judy just fell apart seeing with her own eyes what her daughter went through and knowing that she couldn't come back from it. There was also a part of Judy that felt guilty. She wondered why she didn't just go to Kanika's apartment and make her leave. In the days following Kanika's death, some of her friends remembered a rather foreboding and concerning statement Kanika made the night before the first stranger came to her door. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor-guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On August 22nd, Kanika and a group of her friends were hanging out to celebrate her best friend's birthday. Kanika whispered to her best friend and one of her other friends that she needed to tell them something, but they could wait to talk about it on Saturday. However, when Saturday came and Kanika called her best friend, it wasn't about what she wanted to talk about before. It was about the knock at her door. And again, Kanika told her friend that she would eventually talk about that other thing, but she wanted to get all of the strangers knocking at her door stuff out of the way first. But that conversation never came. Her friends never ended up finding out what Kanika wanted to tell them. Early in the investigation, detectives struggled with leads. Not much information was available for police to work with, like tips or known conflicts or enemies Kanika may have had. And at the scene, there wasn't much to offer there either. There was little physical evidence and no murder weapon was recovered. Most of the information about Kanika's case centers around the mystery men who showed up at her door days before she was murdered. The police say they can't really say if the person who was pretending to be from the FBI is the same person who was pretending to be the FedEx delivery guys. Detectives think it's possible they could be one and the same, or they could be two different people, but nothing is definitive. Detectives established a vague profile of the suspect. They determined the type of person who commits this type of crime in broad daylight is someone who is audacious, driven, and callous. Obviously, this person was very determined to carry out the crime they intended to commit. No matter what, they weren't going to let anything get in the way. 
Ultimately, detectives couldn't identify the person or persons who knocked on Kanika's door. So detectives took a look at Kanika's personal life. They needed to find out if Kanika had any enemies. But when they looked into her relationships, they couldn't find anyone who would want to hurt Kanika. She was well-liked and she appeared to be mostly a homebody, except for the occasional outing with her friends. Most days, she would go into work, come home, mind her business, and then repeat. However, in the weeks before her murder, there was a change in Kanika's social circle. Kanika had started hanging out with a new friend group, a friend group that was not already connected to her existing friend group. Kanika became close to one woman in particular, and they began a dating relationship. This woman was the new friend that Kanika was planning that weekend trip to Atlanta with. They had plans to attend the LGBTQ plus pride festival together. But of course, this trip never ended up happening. Kanika was bisexual. It's not like Kanika had this grand coming out story, but at the same time, she wasn't hiding her sexual identity. She was overall a private person. It seems like only close people in her life knew she was bisexual and she was okay with that because she liked to keep her relationships private. Of course, Kanika introduced the new woman in her life to her mother, Judy. It was a brief introduction. When Judy first met her, Judy got a relatively warm feeling about her, and nothing really seemed off. Of course, it's not like Judy knew her very well, but overall, the introduction went well, and Judy wasn't concerned about Kanika's new relationship. Now, let's get into theories. There are several Reddit threads about Kanika's case, people piecing together theories based on the limited information made known to the public about her case. For example, one theory is that Kanika's murder is connected to her work. As I briefly mentioned earlier, Kanika held a position at the John Hopkins Laboratories. Her job there seemed to be rather top secret, as we don't know what she did there specifically. And even after her murder, the laboratory would only confirm that she worked for John Hopkins, but they would not reveal her title or which lab she worked for. A few web sleuths did some digging into what Kanika did at the labs. And it has been rumored that Kanika may have reviewed other people's security clearances now, again, this is just a speculation. It has not been verified. So obviously, her work at the labs was highly sensitive and it concerned matters of national security. And because her work was highly sensitive, people began theorizing that maybe because Kanika had access to sensitive information, she stumbled upon some information that someone else didn't want her to know, or she discovered something she shouldn't have, and that maybe she was killed because of it. However, I struggle with this theory because if she did stumble upon top secret information that she wasn't supposed to know, and someone wanted to kill her because of it, wouldn't they make her murder less messy and more professional? I mean, whoever killed Kanika killed her out in the open, in a hallway where anyone could have been walking by and witnessed the whole thing happen. Why not kill her inside the apartment, where there would be less of a chance of getting caught? There is the theory that Kanika's new relationship got her killed. Kanika's new girlfriend had an ex-boyfriend, who may have seen Kanika as a threat. Kanika's mother, Judy, began to wonder if someone didn't want Kanika and her new girlfriend to be involved, and so that person killed Kanika. Judy is not of the opinion that her job is what got her killed. Judy felt that this new girlfriend was the only new person in Kanika's new circle, and because of that, it was worth questioning if she or someone she knew was involved with Kanika's murder. After all, this trouble Kanika was facing only began shortly after meeting this new woman. Judy thinks she remembers 
Kanika telling her that her girlfriend was aware of Kanika's plans to take the day off and get her car serviced the afternoon before she died. Judy finds this suspicious. She wonders who else would know the whereabouts of Kanika except for Judy and the girlfriend. To add, Kanika's closest friends began talking about how the ex-boyfriend was not happy about Kanika and the new woman being together. There were rumors that this woman's ex-boyfriend was possibly jealous of Kanika and the relationship they were forming. According to Kanika's friends, the ex-boyfriend was not known by others to be a friendly person and he didn't give off good vibes. However, it's not clear how they came to this conclusion because they never actually met the woman's ex-boyfriend. It also bothered the family that none of the new friends Kanika was spending time with before her murder showed up at the hospital after she was shot or after she died. I want to make it clear that this theory is just speculation, as Kanika never told her mother or her friends about this woman's ex-boyfriend being jealous, and detectives have declined to reveal the extent of the investigation into Kanika's new friend and the jealous ex-boyfriend. Another theory that could go hand-in-hand hand with the first theory depending on how you want to look at it, is that a hit was put out on Kanika Powell. If you take into account those mysterious knocks on Kanika's door, which I think we have to take these encounters seriously as they were strange and they happened just days before her murder, it's theorized that those series of strange visitors were precursors to a hit. Kanika did not recognize the men who came to her door, and they did not seem to know her either. It's also pretty clear that the men only came to confirm that the person living in that apartment was Kanika Powell. So the theory is that these men were just setting Kanika up for her imminent death by confirming her location and her identity. However, none of this answers why someone would want Kanika dead or who ordered her murder. Then there is the Sean Green theory. There has been speculation about Kanika's case possibly being connected to another murder, the murder of 31-year-old Sean Green. A few months after Kanika's murder, Sean Green, who worked for the National Counterterrorism Center in McLean, Virginia, was murdered 30 minutes from Kanika's apartment. On November 30th, Sean was ambushed by a masked gunman while sitting at a stoplight. Very similar to Kanika, Sean's job required him to handle highly sensitive information and required top security clearances. The speculation that these two murders are related comes mostly from the fact that Kanika and Sean both worked in the national security field and that Sean was killed close to Kanika's home. However, there are several differences between Sean and Kanika's murder and police feel there is no connection between the two cases. Another theory is that Kanika was the victim of a serial killer. Maybe Kanika's murder had nothing to do with her job. Some have suspected that Kanika could have been targeted by Jason Thomas Scott, a serial killer convicted of five murders between 2008 and 2009. Jason Scott had numerous run-ins with the law, having an arrest history of burglary and other crimes. He also attended the same high school as Kanika. Jason Scott used his intelligence to commit very brutal crimes. It is reported that Scott took a job with UPS and then used his degree in computer science to access the information of his victims to rob and kill, and that he stayed one step ahead of investigators by using a scanner tuned into police channels. He was finally arrested in July 2009 after police received a tip that Scott was selling illegal guns from his UPS truck. After his arrest, authorities raided Jason Scott's stash house and found evidence linking him to five murders in the past year. 
In four of the cases, Scott murdered mothers and their daughters, and across all five cases, three of the victims were shot. The murders were all random, and none of the victims knew Scott. Eventually, he was dubbed the mother-daughter killer by the media, and Jason Scott was sentenced to 85 years in prison in the strangulations of 42-year-old Dolores DeWitt and her 20-year-old daughter, Ebony, in March 2009 after he submitted an Alford plea. With an Alford plea, a defendant doesn't admit guilt, but they acknowledge that prosecutors have enough evidence to convict them. In exchange for the plea, prosecutors dropped the charges in the three other killings. And if you're wondering about the other case, because he has been suspected of being responsible for five homicides, well, they couldn't move forward with a conviction for that case because the firearm used in that case was never found, and they felt they didn't have a strong case without it. In January 2012, Jason Thomas Scott was also sentenced to 100 years in prison for dozens of armed home invasions and burglaries in Maryland. Police in the D.C. and Maryland area have said they believed he was involved in other homicides, but they aren't convinced he is connected to Kanika's murder. The murders have a few things in common including the victim's characteristics. For example, the victims didn't have any obvious enemies, just like with Kanika's case. Also, in one of the cases, there were no signs of forced entry, and no valuables were taken, just like with Kanika. Not to mention, in one of the cases, police found no fingerprints or DNA evidence left behind, similar to Kanika's case. Another similarity is that many of the victims were targeted at their homes, and all of the murders occurred within a nine-month period, during which Kanika was also shot. Also, Kanika had an encounter with a delivery guy before she was killed, so people are thinking maybe Jason Scott was that delivery guy, since he did work for UPS. However, there are also some differences in these cases and Kanika's case, a glaring one being that Scott typically targeted a mother and daughter, but Kanika was all alone. Also, the person who knocked on Kanika's door was reportedly a FedEx guy, not a UPS worker. Some believe in this serial killer theory because even though Kanika hadn't been robbed, they speculate that Jason Scott might have been planning to rob her but couldn't. They think that if Jason Scott killed Kanika, maybe he didn't rob her as well because she lived in an apartment building and it would have been more difficult to pull off a robbery and a murder at the same time. But I don't know how I feel about that theory. I feel like Jason Scott was a smart and prepared criminal. He knew where these victims lived and he would have known that Kanika lived in an apartment complex. He seems like someone who planned out his attacks, which would go against the idea that he was thrown off by Kanika's apartment and thus gave up on robbing her. But like the other theories, the serial killer theory is simply that, just a theory. There is no definitive proof that Jason Scott is linked to Kanika's murder. Detectives came to the conclusion that Jason Scott's M.O. did not fit with Kanika's murder, and the area where Kanika was murdered was not in the same geographical location where Scott committed all of his murders and crimes. He did not commit any crimes in the northern area of the county, especially not in Laurel, Maryland. Jason Scott was interviewed by police in connection with Kanika's murder, but he was ultimately ruled out as a suspect. Unfortunately, it has been 15 years since the murder of Kanika Powell, and her case is still unsolved. Detectives say they don't have a person of interest in the case because they continue to struggle coming up with a motive in Kanika's murder. Over the years, Kanika's case turned cold. However, there is a detective who is working the cold case, and they say they are exhausting every lead. 
After the murder, the scene was processed and ballistics evidence was recovered. And over the years, every handgun that was recovered in a crime in the county and nationally has been checked. But as of now, no handguns have been recovered that matches the one used in Kanika's murder. Kanika's friends and family believe that a strong motive behind Kanika's murder could be jealousy. They have considered the possibility of a hate crime because of Kanika's sexual identity, but deep down, they feel the murder was mostly out of jealousy. But who that jealous person is still eludes them. Here's what we know about Kanika's case. She had three strange encounters with unknown men in the week preceding her murder. One instance where a man supposedly pretended to be an FBI agent, and two more instances where a man claimed to have a package for Kanika. And remember, in all three instances, they asked for Kanika's name. We also know that her killer was lying in wait in her doorway that afternoon she was murdered. This suggests that Kanika Powell was targeted by someone. Also, we know that Kanika was killed with a handgun. Finally, we can be fairly certain that the motive was not robbery. But there's also so much we don't know. Mainly, the motive. Could it have been connected to her work? Was it a random, senseless act of violence? Maybe she had an enemy that she herself didn't even know about, let alone police. Or maybe she was the victim of a serial killer. No matter what, I refuse to believe that there isn't someone out there who knows what happened to Kanika Powell and why. Whether it's someone she worked with or a neighbor who may have overheard or witnessed something suspicious, or Kanika's new friends, or even the men who knocked on her door. Someone knows something about the murder of Kanika Powell. Kanika Powell was shot to death in her apartment hallway on August 28, 2008, in Laurel, Maryland. She was only 28 years old, and she had her whole life ahead of her. From researching this case, it's evident that Kanika was an intelligent woman, as well as strong, driven, and determined. Her family and friends think about her every day and miss her presence in their lives. What they miss most is her honesty, her friendship, her sense of humor, her smile, her voice, and her great advice. Kanika's mother really misses their close bond and spending time together. Her mother is pleading with the public to come forward because it's never too late to clear your conscience or help bring justice for Kanika. Kanika Powell put her life at risk for this country. She was a veteran, but sadly, it feels like She's been forgotten. It's been 15 years, and there is still no resolution in her case. Kanika Powell deserves justice. The detectives working Kanika's case are asking for the public's help. They say it doesn't matter how small the detail or tip may seem to you. They still want to hear about it, because it could be the one thing that cracks this case. If you have any information about Kanika Powell's murder, you can submit tips anonymously by contacting the Prince George's County Police Department at 301-352-1200. That brings me to the end of this week's episode. What are your thoughts about this case? Who do you think killed Kanika? And what do you think the motive was? Do you think the series of mysterious knocks on her door are related to her murder? Do you have your own theories about who could have killed her? I'd love to know your thoughts about this case, so leave them in the comments. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and like this video, share this video, and also consider sticking around for more episodes by hitting the subscribe button and tapping the notification bell to the right. Thanks for watching. I'll see you in the next episode. Stay safe.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 